will be from Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus 1, verse 5. That's, ver, uh, that's page 998 on the Red Pew Bibles. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. It's great to see you tonight. If you're visiting with us, we're really glad that you've come to be a part of our worship this evening. We are preaching through the book of Titus on Sunday nights, and we're in chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 tonight, so be opening your Bibles there. I'll meet you in just a moment. We have a lot of new faces among us. Uh, I would just the other day was making a list for my own reference sake of folks that have come and have placed membership with us in the last several months, there are a lot of us. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're among us. Here's what we're going to do. For the next several weeks, we are going to have, we've done this before, usually happens in the fall, we're going to have name amnesty time, okay? I, someday I'll think of a better word for it, a better way to say it. If anybody wants to, they can come up and ask me my name. If you don't know who I am or you just want to annoy me, because some of you like to do that, you are welcome to come and ask me my name, and I will not get upset if you ask me. And we're going to do that for the next several weeks, okay? So if you see somebody that you don't know, you're not really sure if they belong here, just go and ask them their names. We are better when we know each other. We are better when we have relationships with each other. And so don't be afraid to ask anyone can I know your name? I'd, I'd like to know more about you. I'd, can, would you give me your name? Do that because it's, it helps strengthen the church. And all of us, all of us, and even if you've been here 30, 40, 50 years, we are not going to get upset if somebody asks us our name. I'm not going to get upset and you can't get upset either. If somebody asks you your name, just say, my name is so-and-so. And the reason they're asking, brothers and sisters, is because they want to know who you are. The sweetest way to show love for somebody else is to call them by name. Did you know that? We want people to call us and address us by our names. And so if you don't know somebody's name, you can learn their name. Name Amnesty. We're so glad. If you're a newer member here, we're so glad that you're here and part of the congregation. And we want to know you better. And so let's do that. By the way, nobody get mad at me about this. If you want to sit in a different part of the auditorium, you can do that too. Okay, that makes it kind of hard for our attendance keepers. I'm sorry, I apologize in advance. But if you want to sit in a different part of the auditorium, you and your family, I would recommend doing that because I don't know about you, but I've got a pattern. I park in the same spot out there and I come in the same doors usually. And I see typically, if I'm not, if I'm not thinking about it and being deliberate and intentional, I see the same people over and over. And so the way you come in and where you park and where you sit, it has a big effect on who you see. And if you sit in different places around the auditorium, you'll find that you'll meet people that maybe they've been here 30 years and you've never met them before, never seen them before. And so it's a blessing to be able to do that. Name amnesty starting tonight. I know some of you are going to do this. What's your name, preacher? My name's John Baker. I'll just introduce myself right now. Glad to see all of you this evening. We're glad that you're here. Look at Titus chapter one, verses five through nine. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Brethren, everything in the church rises or falls on leadership. We need godly, wise, qualified elders among us. In matter of fact, it's so important that the church have elders that Paul told Titus to stay on the island of Crete until he had appointed elders in every church. Leadership matters. 
it matters who is leading and it matters whether the people that are leading are qualified by God. Titus 1 verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, Paul says, for two reasons. Number one, so that you might put what remains into order. The New King James says so that you might set in order what is lacking, the things that are lacking. Presumably that means things like what you read in Titus 2 verses 1 through 10, where instruction is being given to different groups within the church. They still need instruction on how they're to live their lives. And so set those things in order, Titus. But also reason number two why I've left you in Crete is so that you might appoint elders in every town, every city, as I directed you. Remember last week when we talked about the first four verses being a, an authentication of Titus's ministry? Here in verse five, at the end of the verse, I have directed Titus, Paul is saying, to go into these congregations and I've directed Titus to be the one to make sure that qualified men are being established as elders. Now that word elder is interesting. It's one office, but there are three New Testament terms, three Greek terms that describe the office. If you were in kids sing and you have been given a task by Mr. Jordan, this would be a time to pay attention to Mr. John. One office, three Greek terms. Here they are. The first is the word elder and the Greek word is presbyteros. Presbyteros just means an older man. An older man. So when we're looking for someone to serve as an elder, by virtue of the name itself, the office itself, he is an older man. Not only that, but you find the word overseer. Look at Titus chapter 1 verse 7. Some of your translations might have a bishop must be blameless. Others have an overseer. The word is episkopos, and it just means to oversee, to manage. As a matter of fact, if you're looking at Titus 1 verse 7, an overseer must be a steward of God. God has placed people, he's placed their souls in the trust of these men who serve as elders. And they have a responsibility to shepherd, to oversee, to manage to the glory of God. Who decides you know, whether or not we replace air conditioners ultimately. And who decides where, what the facilities look like? The elders are the overseers. They might delegate those things to deacons and should if they're wise, but ultimately the elders are men of management. But they're also, they're also men who decide things like how often will the church meet during the week? When will the church meet during the week? Those kinds of things. They are overseers. Also, the third term is not found here in, in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, but it's found in other passages. The word pastor or shepherd, the Greek word is poimen. It's usually found as a verb as it is in 1 Peter 5, verse 2. Shepherd the church of God. Savior like a shepherd lead us. We sang just a few moments ago. Jesus is the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And elders are under shepherds of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. That's what elders do. They are shepherds over the people in a local congregation with whom they work. Shepherd the flock which is among you, Peter says, 1 Peter 5 verse 2. Those three terms describe one office, one role. This is a picture in and of itself of the kind of leadership that God wants in his church. Everything rises or falls on leadership. I'll tell you something, rule of thumb. If you want to know the future of any congregation, look at the leadership, look at the elders. Because in the long run, a congregation will not go in a different direction, doctrinally, morally, even in terms of personality, than her shepherds, her elders. 
in the long run. Now, people may get upset and they may decide they're not going to worship with the congregation anymore. Those kinds of things may happen, but the congregation itself is not going to go in a different direction in the long run than her leaders. This is a critically important subject. As a matter of fact, you're reading Titus, 46 verses in Titus. We have the qualifications of elders right out of the gate. First thing that Paul wanted Titus to make sure that he was paying attention to, qualification of elders. You'll also find another passage in the New Testament about qualifications of elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. You'll also find another list of qualifications, very similar to the list we're about to talk about tonight, but different in some ways. Again, I've begun preaching through Titus. I had someone ask me today, are the elders thinking about adding additional elders here at Katy? Not to my knowledge. I have not heard any discussion. No, they are not. We're preaching through Titus. And isn't it interesting that when you preach a sermon about the qualifications of elders, immediately everybody thinks, well, we must be getting ready to. No, sometimes the church just needs to be reminded, elders need to be reminded, this is God's will for their lives. And this is ultimately, I want you to look at the list of qualifications we're talking talking about tonight, this is a picture of what God wants all of us to be, isn't it? The the idea that we would be holy and that we would be temperate and self-controlled, that we would not be drunkards and things like that, those are qualifications that all of us ought to possess. We need to be reminded of these things. The future of the Lord's church in every place rises or falls on leadership. As you think about Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, look again at verse 5. I left you in Crete that you might appoint elders in every church. And I want just to notice before we begin the study tonight, some implications of that statement. Titus, make sure that every congregation, every city has elders, shepherds, bishops, overseers, these men that manage and, and, and shepherd the people of God to the glory of God. Make sure that they all have that. What are some implications of this? Number one, every congregation needs elders. They just do. This is the way God designed the church. Every congregation needs elders. There was a time on the island of Crete where the congregations by implication did not have elders. And it is authorized for a congregation not to have elders if there are not qualified men. However, Every congregation of God's people ought to be working in that direction. That's what Titus 1 verse 5 would indicate. We all ought to be working for, and even here at Katy, where we have some very fine men, some great elders, godly men, we ought to be looking toward the future. There are some of you who are younger men here, and you're rapidly approaching a time where you may be qualified to serve as an elder. You ought to pay attention not only to lessons like this one, but you ought to pay attention to your life and and your character, the things that we're talking about tonight, because every congregation needs to encourage more men to rise up and serve as elders. Implication number two, it takes wisdom to find men who are qualified and install them as elders. It takes wisdom. Titus, I'm giving you this responsibility, Paul said. You make sure that there are elders in every congregation. This is something that takes a great deal of prayer and time and wisdom. I find it fascinating that Paul had obviously been to Crete. He had obviously spent time with the the churches there, but he had left, and even though he had spent time with them, he had not yet thought it was the opportune time to install elders. 
You know, some commentators talking about verse five seem to think that it's possible that it might have taken Titus a few years to fulfill his task in Titus 1 verse 5. Because as we know from practical experience, even in some of our mission works, elders don't grow on trees. Men who are qualified to serve in the ways that we meet, uh, that we see in this passage, they just, they're just not everywhere. It takes time for some of these qualifications to be attained in a man's life. There's no need for wisdom here. On that note, the absolute worst thing any congregation could ever do is take a man who is partially qualified and install him as an elder. Well, he's got a wife and he's got kids. He's got a temper, but it'll be okay. No, uh-uh. that is not the way the church installs elders. That is a recipe for disaster to take a man who is partially qualified and install him. There needs to be a great deal of wisdom and prayer used. And then third, the need for a plurality, elders, plural. In every occasion where elders are mentioned in a local congregation in the New Testament, it is always mentioned as a plurality. That means two or more. And there's wisdom from God in this that one man does not come to dominate an entire congregation, one bishop, one elder, one overseer, overseeing the affairs of a congregation. It's always two or more. It's always a plurality. Elders, plural. Titus 1.5, Acts 14.23, they appointed elders in every congregation. Philippians 1 verse 1 is addressed to the church at Philippi with the elders and the deacons. Again, a plurality of elders in every occasion when you meet, these, when you meet men like this in the New Testament. With that in mind, look at Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, and what you find are qualifications. What kind of men should Titus look for? What kind of men should we look for when we look for men to serve as elders? What are their qualifications? And I'll just share with you the outline. In verse 6, the qualifications have to do with his home life. In verses 7 and 8, the qualifications have to do with his character. And then in verse 9, the qualifications have to do with his knowledge of God's word. In his home life, in his character, in his knowledge of God's word, is he qualified to serve as a shepherd? That's the question. Let's explore in specifics what Paul deals with in this passage. In verse 6, first point tonight, what is this man's home life like? Look at verse 6. It says, if anyone is above reproach, that phrase just means if he is upright or if he is blameless. Now, people tend to go to one of two extremes sometimes with this qualification. On the one hand, people tend to make this almost like the man has got to be sinlessly perfect. If he's ever done anything wrong, if he's ever sinned in any way, well, he certainly can't serve as an elder. He's not above reproach. Let me ask you a question. What about the apostle Peter? who denied the Lord? What about the apostle Peter who, who dissembled from his Hebrew, his Jewish brethren because, from his Gentile brethren because the Jewish uh, Judaizing teachers came and he said, I'm not gonna sit with the Gentiles anymore. What about Peter? You wanna talk about somebody with a checkered past with mistakes in his past that everybody knew about, Peter had that. And yet in 1 Peter 5 verses one through four, Peter calls himself an elder in the Lord's church. Above reproach does not mean sinlessly perfect, but on the other hand, above reproach does not mean the idea that we can just say, well, we're not going to worry about any sin in his life. That's not right either. We're not going to pay attention to this qualification. Does this man show by his life that he wants to serve Jesus Christ and is it evident 
Is it obvious in his life that, that being a Christian is what he's all about? That's what above reproach means. Secondly, as you look at verse 6, it talks about not only being above reproach, it says he must be the husband of one wife. That means three things. Number one, an elder must be a man. It is not authorized for women to serve as elders, shepherds, overseers in the church of God. It's just not. He must be a man. Number two, he must be a married man. He must be the husband of one wife. And number three, his marriage must be in harmony with God's laws on marriage. He is the husband of one wife. He is married, he is a man, and his marriage is in harmony with God's will for his life. He's a married man. Next, it says, and this has been the subject of a number of controversies over the years. It says in verse six, I'm reading from the ESV, that his children are believers. Some translations say having faithful children. It's the word for faith, pistuo, and it just means, it can mean faithful, that means they're faithful to their father, or it can mean believing, that is they have faith in God and they don't just listen to their father. But go on, it says that they are faithful children and it goes on and explains that they are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. They're believing children, now it opened to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. What does this mean? He has children. That's one thing. It means that he has children. But also it means that one who would serve as an elder has raised his family, raised his children. I believe the word there for faithful means that they are New Testament Christians. He has raised and influenced his children to obey God's word, to be New Testament Christians, to serve Jesus Christ. He's raised them to do that. He's influenced them to do that. And think about this. When you think about a man's character, when you think about the way he lives, I'm adamant that this is true. A man becomes an elder. He is forged in his character and in the attributes. He becomes an elder by being God's man at home. You want to learn to be an elder, younger man? You want to be trained in that area? And I hope that you do. Be God's man at home. That's what you need to be. Love your kids. Love your wife. Be a husband and a father to them and raise them and influence them to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And when your children are believing children, they will be, you will be qualified in this aspect anyway to serve as an elder. Notice it goes on, not accused of insubordination, not accused of dissipation. What do those two words mean? Dissipation means wastefulness. The prodigal son was guilty of dissipation. He took his inheritance and he squandered it in the far country, Luke 15, verse 18. What about insubordination? Insubordination means they will not listen to, they will not respect authority. If a man has children, and his children are wasteful, if they are reckless in their lives, if they are insubordinate, not just to human authorities, but to God's authority. If they're insubordinate, if they're constantly undermining authority, if they will not listen and will not respect authority, this man is not qualified to serve as an elder. Titus, don't appoint a man like that. By the way, if you're looking at Titus chapter one, look at verse 10. There are many insubordinate 
The first people that these elders are going to have to deal with and have to stop the mouths of are the insubordinate people in the churches, people that will not listen to. They're rebellious. They don't respect authority. He is to have believing and faithful children if he's going to serve as an elder. You know, sometimes people ask the question, well, what about the adult children of a man who would serve as an elder? What about their lives? When you read Titus 1, it seems to me that the purpose of the commandment, it seems that the purpose of what Paul's saying, having believing children, is that this man has influenced his home and his children while he had influence over them. But think about this. If a man is serving as an elder and he's 70 years old and he's got a 50-year-old son who all of a sudden decides that he doesn't want to live as a New Testament Christian anymore, all of a sudden at age 50, he decides that he's going to leave the Lord, does that disqualify his father from serving as an elder? I would argue that it does not necessarily. We need as God's people to respect the reasons why God gave us these commandments. He is to have believing and faithful children. However, having said that, if a man has four children and all four of his adult children have left the Lord and are no longer believers, I don't know that he fulfills the command that we see here in this passage. His home life matters. Who you are at home matters. Next, when you think about the passage that talks about qualifications of an elder, look at verses 7 and 8. He deals with the character of one who would serve. His character. What's his character like? Verse 7 gives us negatives, and then verse 8 gives us positives. You see that? In verse 7, he's not this, not this, not this. In verse 8, this is what he is instead, positively. Notice at the beginning of verse 7, An overseer is God's steward, and he must be above reproach. Look at verse 6, if anyone is above reproach. Do you see that twice? We are looking for men who have character. We are looking for men who are living their lives for Jesus. Titus, you find men like that, and you make men like that into elders. If a man does not have a sterling character, if he's not striving to serve Jesus Christ with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, he will not make a good elder. He is to be above reproach, his character. What about his character? Look at verse 7. What is he not to be? Negatively in verse 7. He is not to be arrogant, self-willed, stubborn. He does not sing, have my own way. I have to have my way in every discussion and every dispute. It always has to be the way I want it. That's not what an elder's like. One of the things that occurs to me as I study these characteristics and these character qualities, elders are, by the ver- by very virtue of, of their role, their, their task that God has given them, elders are going to have a lot of conflict. And when you read about the qualifications of elders, here's what the Bible's saying, just broadly. It's saying he's got to be a man who can deal with conflict without enjoying or instigating conflict. He's got to be someone who can, in God's way, in a godly way, deal with problems in the church without being a guy who's looking for conflict around every corner. He's not arrogant. He's not the kind of guy who has to always have it his way. He's willing to yield, James 3, verse 17. That's the wisdom that's from above. He's willing to do that. He's not quick-tempered. You find an elder with a short fuse. You find an elder who is quickly angered. An elder who everybody just kind of knows. You're going to walk on eggshells around that guy. He is not qualified to be an elder. 
and we are courting disaster in the congregation if a man like that is installed. Angry, short-fused. He's not a drunkard. The Greek word has to do with, by the way, if you've got King James, New King James, not given to wine, not addicted to wine, some translations say. His life is not under the influence of alcohol. His life is not dominated by this. It's not under the influence of this. When people think about this man, they do not associate him with wine. They don't associate him and his life with those kinds of substances. And by the way, I don't believe it's a stretch to extend this. He is also not a drug user. His life is not under the influence of substances that are going to alter his mind and alter his way of perceiving things. His life's not under the influence of those things. We're not looking for a man like that. He's not violent. The word for violent there means he's not pugnacious. (laughs) Not that that helps us because we don't use that word a whole lot. Pugnacious, he's not a bully. When he doesn't get his way or when he gets into conflict, you know, some people, some people are just vicious. They're just ruthless. When they don't get their way or when they feel like they're losing an argument, they just, they'll, they'll deal some low blows not an elder. He's not a violent man. He's not a man who's looking for a fight. He's not a man who's looking to push people around and show people who's boss. That's not his character. That's not his heart. And it says he's not greedy for gain. What that means is that he's not obsessed by money. Greedy for gain has to do with the desire to obtain money, even if it's immoral, even if it's a little shady. Even if it's, oh, a gray area, I I really want the money. No, you're not qualified. Compare this to Titus chapter 1 verse 11 where the false teachers that these elders are going to have to deal with, one of the reasons why they teach these false doctrines, Paul writes, is because they want money. They are eager for gain. But an elder's not that way. I heard a really sad story recently. There was, a, there was a brother in Christ that was sharing with me that he and his family had started a congregation in their house and a church, uh, started a church in their house in a town that to this day still does not have a local congregation. And he said, while we lived there, we started this congregation and we had about 60 people meeting in our house. And this man and his family had to move away from that place. And I said, well, what happened? Is the church still there? Because the place matters to me where they are. I, I would seek out that, that group of brethren. You know what he said? Somebody was mishandling the money. And as a result of mishandling the funds, the church fell apart. It's no longer meeting. It's no longer in existence. The way we handle money, you know, we take it for granted here at Katie. We've got some wonderful processes and systems in place. We've got some deacons, Alex and and Jordan Tanner, who do a wonderful job of of making sure that every dollar is accounted for and making sure that those are going to good works and that that all the bills are being paid. We, We take that for granted. But money is a temptation, and an elder cannot be dominated in his mind and his thinking by money because it can ruin a congregation of God's people. And some of you have seen that in your own experience in various places. Don't hire, don't, don't install a man like that to be an elder. Don't do it. Positively, what's his character to be like? It seems to me, by the way, that we spend a lot of time talking about those family qualifications, and we don't spend nearly enough time talking about the character qualifications. We just don't. He has to be hospitable. He has an open heart. He has an open home. 
He has open hands for strangers. The word for hospitality in Greek has to do with one who cares for strangers, for outsiders. He's not just a good man with his friends, the people that he loves, but he is a good man and he is generous with people that he doesn't know and that he's not connected with. That's hospitality. He is a lover of good. Recent sermon on this very phrase. He loves what is good. He is interested in good things, and he is a supporter of good men and good works and good ideas and good, good plans. He's an encourager of those things. He doesn't always have to throw water, cold water, on somebody's idea. If it's a good idea, let's explore that. Let's ask why not instead of asking, well, how much is that going to cost? He's a lover of what's good. He is self-controlled, ESV, sober or thoughtful, other translations have, and the word here means, you know, some people are just kind of on an emotional extreme, you know, a pendulum. If things are going badly, they take the fetal position and the sky is falling and woe is me. And if things are going good or if there's somebody with a good idea, it's like we can't be exuberant enough. And an elder is somebody that while those two extremes may exist, an elder is somebody that can thoughtfully and rationally look at all the details of a situation and can make good judgments in the midst of a lot of chaos and conflict. That's what that means. He is to be upright. He's just. He's fair. He treats everyone fairly. And even if his daughter or son or grandson or granddaughter is a member of the local church, there is no favoritism when it comes to resolving conflicts within the congregation. There's no favoritism when it comes to how those family members or how his friends, his close friends are treated. That's just not part of his way of doing things. He's upright and you know he's gonna be fair and just. He's holy. That means his life is free from sin. He's striving in every way that he can to get rid of sin and to be devoted to God's glory. It doesn't mean he's a perfect man. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have struggles. I heard somebody say this recently. An upright man, a blameless man, a man who is holy is a man who will confess that he needs God's help and he needs God's forgiveness. I can respect and follow a man like that, can't you? I can respect and follow an eldership that admits, you know, some things are wrong in my life and, and, and I'm struggling with this, but I'm trying. I want to serve Jesus and I want to put this sin away. He's devoted to God's glory. That's what that means. Holy. He is self-controlled or disciplined. Temperate. Parents learn this early. And this is why parents become good elders. Good parents become good elders. Little children do not always understand the difference between what they want and what they really need. You think that's a fair statement, parents? Little children don't always understand the difference between what they want and what they need. Well, guess what? Members of the Lord's church don't always understand the difference between what we want and what we truly need. And elders are self-controlled in the sense that they are able to see what the church really needs. And even when people say, well, that's not what we want, it's what we need. Elders are disciplined in that regard and many other ways as well. 
A man who has his passions, his desires under control, and a man who can hold on with conviction to what needs to be done for the church and not just be following every whim that somebody has. Those are the kind of character qualities that God desires in an elder. I say again, we don't talk enough about those. When we're looking for elders, we don't talk enough about those. We ought to talk more. Verse 9, what kind of man are we looking for? He is a man who knows the book. And if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, you listen to this. The church in every place needs elders who know God's word. They know the gospel. They know how not only to teach the gospel, but how to stop the mouths of those who are speaking against the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what verse 9 says. Let me just break it down for you this way in verse 9. It says in verse 9, he must hold firm. He's not wavering. He's not questioning. He's not trying to find himself. He's not trying to find his religious values. This man knows what he believes and he's going to hold fast to that. He knows what he, what he, who, he, who he follows and what he believes in. It's the trustworthy word that he holds on to. Interesting phrase that Paul uses. Go back to Titus 1 verse 2. We serve a God who cannot lie. And his word has been manifested, Titus 1 verse 3 to us. And it is a trustworthy word. In the midst of an island where people are liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons, Titus 1 verse 12, the word of God is trustworthy. It's sure. And he's going to hold on to this because he knows even when people say other things, this, this is trustworthy. It's faithful. It's been taught to him. As taught, that has to do with what Paul taught. It has to do with what Titus teaches because Titus is teaching the same message that Paul is. And he's going to hold on to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to do two things. What two things does an elder need to be able to do? Number one, an elder needs to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. He knows the gospel. He knows how to teach the gospel in a healthy way. That's what sound doctrine is. It's healthy teaching. And he knows. He's skilled in this ability, teaching sound doctrine. And also, number two, to rebuke those who contradict it. I say again, elders, when I read the qualifications of elders, they are men who by virtue of their work, by, by the nature of the work that they have, they are men who have to deal with conflict. This is their responsibility. This is their role. They deal with conflict. But the character qualities of an elder are such that he is not someone who ever enjoys the experience. And I'll tell you, I've been around some people in my past, not elders, but I've been around some people in my past who kind of enjoyed conflict. And they kind of enjoyed being a bully and they kind of enjoyed getting their own way and making sure that they could manipulate and dominate and those things. Not an elder. But he is not afraid to rebuke, to sharply stop the mouth of those who contradict sound doctrine, sound teaching. And there will be in every congregation from time to time people who contradict sound doctrine. Whose job is it? Whose responsibility is it? Who's God looking to? to deal with those false teachers. God's looking at the elders first. You know, here at Katy, we have eight men who serve currently as our elders. We have a number of others in the room who have served in the past. 
elders are some of my heroes. For, for 10 years that I've been here, I've gotten to sit in just about every one of the elders meetings that our elders have. And I'll tell you something, the men that we have serving here, they're men that are defined by and characterized by what we just talked about. And we do not know sometimes how blessed we are as a congregation, as a group of God's people, to have men that love the Lord that much. If I can ask you to do one thing this week, I'd ask you to do this. Hug an elder's neck or write him a note and tell him how much you appreciate him and what he does. And don't forget his wife, because there has never been a good elder without a good elder's wife by his side. And our elders will say amen to that. We need to uphold the hands of men like the eight men among us, but we also need to encourage younger men. I hope young men, I hope that one day you guys will make it your aim and your goal to be elders in the Lord's church. Because I don't know if there's any finer thing you could do than to be an elder of God's people, a shepherd serving for Jesus Christ. Everything in the church rises and falls on leadership. And the future of every congregation is seen in the leadership that she has. Thank you for listening to the, passage, the, the lesson this evening. If we can help you to obey the gospel tonight, believe in Jesus Christ, be baptized, having repented of your sins, we would like to help you put on Christ in baptism. If you need to respond tonight and ask for prayers, we'd be happy to do that. Whatever your need, once you come, while together we stand and while we sing.